Let's be nerds. I'm your host, Stephen J, and I am joined by my exceptional co-hosts, Gordon, Lizette, and Drew. How are you guys doing? I'm only exceptional this time. <laughs> I was mostly about Lizette and Drew. Anyway. <laughs> oh, okay. I see how it is. Look, how Gordon, is... why do you have to keep starting drama at the beginning? <laughs> I think... uh, that's all the fun I have. I think he needs to like agitate me so then he has like you know banter throughout the whole episode. I, I want to be the star of the show and I can't be the star if I'm not the center of attention. <laughs> good point. Good point. Anyway, Lizette, Drew, how are you guys? I'm great. Yeah, I'm good too. Excellent. So today we are going to be doing a follow up to a previous video. We are going to be diving into the world of video games for the second time. I'm excited. I liked our first video game episode, and I think today's going to be another exceptional episode. I keep using that word now that Gordon set me off, but it's going <laughs> to be a wonderful episode, and I'm excited. Lizette, I think you're going to go up first because yep. I, I want to hear about what you have to say because you gave us some artwork teasers. Yes. So I am talking about it's, um, currently a series that has two games. So the first one is called Horizon Zero Dawn. It was released February of 2017. So this is one of my favorite games. Now, there are a lot of flaws with it. I just saw somebody have like a little bit of a twitch when I said that. Um, I don't know who she could be talking about. So we're going to get into the flaws as well, because the sequel is coming out February of 2022. I literally pre-ordered it this morning. Before I'd even got out of bed, like I rolled over, like opened up Facebook on my phone, saw that pre-orders were out three days ago, had to contain a scream of anger because the regalia edition of the game is sold out and I am pissed off because it had a really nice statue, but it's okay because I got the collector's edition, which has a not quite as nice, but still nice statue with it as well. Anyway, um, when I bought, so Part of why I enjoy this game so much, and I'll give you guys a little synopsis of the plot and everything, but um, in the end of 2016, early 2017, I had been working at the bookstore, doing a lot of stuff. I'd kind of fallen away from playing video games for a few years, and um, Black Friday of 2016, I bought a PlayStation 4. So I didn't really have a lot of new games for it. Um, I pre-ordered Horizon Zero Dawn. I pre-ordered the collector's edition of it. So I actually have a statue of the main character from the first game. I didn't know very much about it. All I knew was it had robotic dinosaurs. And dinosaurs are my thing. So I had to have it. Ark survival? Uh, Well... I think but it, robotic. I, think it, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to just trigger you. <laughs> I don't even know if she knows what Ark is. Uh, a little bit. I haven't played it. I haven't looked at it too much. I've seen a few things. So 
some similarities, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. Not really. So <laughs> yeah, No, not at all. Not at all. Okay. Like I said, I don't really know, but stop interrupting me, Gordon. <laughs> no. So this series is set in a post-apocalyptic United States. So the first game is specifically set in Colorado, Utah, Northern Arizona, and Montana. That is what some of the artwork I've dropped for you guys is. They actually incorporated real-world locations into the setting of this game. So as you wander around, you find um, crumbling skyscrapers and just buildings that have nature started to kind of reclaim. Mm -hmm. um, it took me several weeks of playing before I realized, like, I didn't realize that when I first started playing the game, I was going through exploring an area one day and something about, like, I think I got to a cliff and it was overlooking something and just something about the landscape looked familiar to me. And I remember going and telling my mom about it because this was, the storyline was something that she was kind of interested in. So I had been keeping her up on what was going on as I progressed through it. And I remember going to her and saying, hey, will you like come look at this and tell me if you think this looks familiar too? Like this looks like an actual place. And like I Googled it and found it was somewhere in Colorado. So hmm. the sequel, um, Horizon Forbidden West, is set more in California, Utah, and Nevada. So that last picture that I dropped for you guys is the main character riding one of the machines um, near the remains of the Golden Gate Bridge. I was going to ask if that was, that was the bridge. Yes. Holy crap. Yeah. I love the concept artwork for this game. Like, it is phenomenal. Um, the sequel, I was watching videos on it earlier. I'm, I was trying not to look at anything for it because I didn't want to get myself too excited before it came out. But now I'm super hyped. So... Basically, what this is, um, like I said, post-apocalyptic United States, it's in set in the 31st century, so a good ways in the future, with scattered tribal populations who live alongside all these machines, some of which are based off of dinosaurs. Um, others are based on other, like, big game or predator creatures. So there are some, I think that was one of the other pictures I dropped for you guys was um, the collection of the machines from the first game. So you can see the tallest one there is a walker. It's based off of, uh, somewhat off of a giraffe. Mm -hmm. But there are others, like there's one that's based mm -hmm. off of a T-Rex. There's um, one based off of a saber-toothed tiger. You've got, there's one that kind of reminds me of a hermit crab. Like there, there's a wide variety of stuff. Now in this world, there are no actual big game animals anymore. It's they've all been replaced by the machines. Oh. So there are still like rabbits and turkeys and boar, like small things, but anything larger, like a deer, a bison, any anything like that, they're not in existence anymore. So uh, you see at the beginning of the game, you start to find out that some of the machines are becoming corrupted and they're attacking humans more than normal. So this is one of the plot lines. There are several that kind of weave together, but it leads to the main character leaving her home area and venturing out to like try and figure out what's happening in their world. So the main character's name is Aloy. 
and she was raised as an outcast near the reclusive Nora tribe in the north. So she has no parents. She was found on the ground outside of a sealed door inside of the mountain that the Nora tribe worship, calling it the All Mother. So that turns into a big part of the game is she's trying to figure out where she came from because the tribe calls her motherless. They, they really don't like her because they don't know where she came from. It's a very matriarchal society in that particular tribe. So she kind of has to earn her place at the beginning of the game. And then um, there's an attack on their tribe and she is sent out with the blessing of the elders to go and figure out like who attacked them and figure out what's going on with the corrupted machines as well. As far as the gameplay goes, your main weapon is a bow, but you also have things like bombs, tripwires, a sling, and a staff. It's an open world for the most part. There's some, it, it's not fully open in the sense of like the Legend of Zelda, um, Breath of the Wild, where you can climb anything or go like absolutely anywhere in the map. There are some restrictions, but for the most part, it's an open world. Mm-hmm. One of the really cool things that I found. If you complete, there's a bunch of side quests. If you complete the side quests for certain minor characters, and it'll be like not a single side quest for them, but a series of side quests for whatever character, they will actually join you in the final battle. Oh. I'm not sure. So I went and kind of did all of the side quests before I went and finished it. So I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming if you don't complete their quest, they're not going to show up because the cutscenes were cut in a way that you could remove any single one of them and mm-hmm. it wouldn't affect anything. So I, I think that was kind of a reward for if you finished everybody's side stories, they would come and help you. Wow. Now, one of the big criticisms for this first game is that the voice acting can be extremely flat. Stop nodding your head, Drew. <laughs> um, can be extremely flat throughout. Like it's, I don't know if they got a lot of newer actors who were not as experienced or what was going on. Um, the dialogue can be kind of stiff at times. And this, the cutscenes where the characters are talking to each other in the first game are also very stiff is the only way I can think to explain it. Like it cuts back and forth between whoever is talking. It gives you kind of a headshot of them and they'll talk. And then the next person it cuts to them as well. So it almost gives you like an older dialogue based game feel from the way that they cut back and forth. It doesn't really make sense for why, why they did that with the rest of the game. That's an improvement that they made in the sequel. They don't do that anymore, from what we can tell. Can I just jump in real quick? Yeah, I'm on the please. IMDb. I'm on the IMDb page, and the only actor, voice actor, because you know I'm obsessed with voice oh, yeah, acting. Yeah. The only people in the first game's cast are Josh Keaton, who's played like Spider-Man and is very, very well known, and Crispin Freeman, who's big into like uh, Final Fantasy. Those I do know. All- I know that name. Who does it give you? Who they played? So Crispin Freeman played Helis, H-E-L-I-S, and Josh Keaton played at Avad, A-V-A-D. Okay. And they're, they're the only, <laughs> like the only two voice actors that are like known <laughs> on okay. the game. That, no shade, no shade. Yeah, Just had to yeah. check it out. I mean, like that definitely that makes sense, and that's what I I think 
is part of what happened. I think it was they were trying to get newer actors. Mm-hmm. From what I've seen of the cutscenes for the sequel, and there's not very much that's out yet, but um, what I was watching this morning, it's a significant improvement in the sequel. Okay. The way that the cutscenes flow, um, the way that the characters, like their facial expression, like the animation period is improved by quite a bit. The little bit of dialogue that I heard, the tone and like the feeling was much more dynamic. It, it felt and sounded a lot better. Mm-hmm. So I think, I, I don't know what happened with the first one. I have a feeling, but I'm not 100% sure on this, that... It was an idea that they were like, you know, this this will probably make a good game. I don't know if they had a limited budget because people weren't quite sure how well it would do. Or I, I'm not really sure, but I feel like it wasn't given the budget that it deserved. I gotcha. Because it is a really interesting story. So, um, like I said, I, I bought the collector's edition just off of the robotic dinosaurs idea. Um, <laughs> I'll send you, if I think about it, I'll send you guys a picture of the statue that it came with. Cause it, it's actually really nice, really high quality. Um, I'm really excited for the new one. That's that I'll, we're going to be getting because it's um, one of the elephants. It's a new creature that was introduced in the sequel. And it has like a, a little, um, side figuring of the main character that you set it's not connected to the main statue you set it off to the side so that you see the difference in her size versus this machine but yeah overall it is something that i definitely recommend like i said it is not without its flaws um drew's main complaint i think is that it gets repetitive in Mm -hmm. probably combat and some of the missions which is another improvement from what i can tell that they're making in the sequel and gameplay is a huge Xbox. thing for me. Yeah, I'm much bigger of a, a fan of story-driven games. So, I mean, I do get bored with repetitive gameplay to a point. But if you've got a story that I'm interested in, I'm willing to overlook it. I can't. <laughs> but like I said, it seems like the studio who's making the, the developers heard all of the fan complaints because... From what I can see so far, they've addressed every major complaint the fans have had. That's I'm not intrigued. You see that often either. Yeah, I'm intrigued by the game based on how you presented it and the artwork and the story. And I did a little quick research. Mm-hmm. The first game had a so right now the U.S. dollar to euro, the dollar is one euro is worth a dollar nineteen U.S. dollar, okay. and the first game's budget was forty-seven million euros. The second game that's coming, their budget's 110 million. Yeah. So it's going to be huge difference. 100% it shows. I mean, you guys can probably see it in the pictures I sent you a little bit too. That last one is the concept artwork, or I'm not sure if it's concept artwork or a screenshot from the second game versus some of the artwork that I dropped from the first game. Mm -hmm. They're. the areas are going to be a lot more dense. So they're going to have a lot more, when you get to the San Francisco area, they're anticipating that the buildings are going to be a lot more dense and a lot more recognizable. Like in the the clip that they dropped back in May, you can see the ruins of um, 
tram cars and the diner, like you can still read the sign partially. It does actually look really good. Yeah. I'm ex- I mean, don't get me wrong. The first one is a great game in my opinion. I just couldn't get myself to get through it. But the second one looks like a huge improvement from the first one so far. That's awesome. Because they're by no means, I'm not, I'm not going to say by any means they're a bad game. It's a bad game. It's really good game, really well done. Very good looking, very good concept, very unique as well. And now, Lizette, for our listeners, do we have a release date for the sequel? Yes, it is. Um, I think they timed it this way on purpose a little bit because it's almost exactly five years from the release of the first one. So Horizon Forbidden West is going to be released on February 18th of 2022. Now, it was originally um, assumed that it was going to be a PS5 exclusive. However, the developer spent most of their time working on this for the PS4. So it's going to be a cross-gen release. So they are releasing it on the PS4 and the PS5. And if they stick with what they're saying, uh, what I read this morning, if you buy it for PS4 and you eventually get your hands on a 5, it's a free upgrade to the 5. Wow. Mark my words. PS4 and PS5 are going to get simultaneous releases until at least 2023. That's my prediction. Uh, <laughs> all right we just finished that discussion in the last episode so for, the, for those of the, you who are listening we have recorded multiple episodes today so go back and check out the previous episode <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't already uh, all right so if you guys have any more questions i can answer them if not um that is all i have for you today because if i talk about it much more i'm going to spoil stuff i'm just going to give a little bit because like I'm intrigued. So the original game, voice cast aside, has a 9.1 out of 10 on IMDb from 11,000 reviews. Mm-hmm. And they're keeping the voice cast for Forbidden. Yes. They're keeping it like hush hush, which that leads me to think that maybe they're making way and developing and like they're not going to announce the cast till the game comes out, which means that maybe they have like a Terra Strong or they have like some So some I can t- I can tell you um with certainty they kept the main voice actress who was actually one of the best yeah she did a really good job she was one of the best in the original cast and they have kept the actor for um, one of the side characters who i think is going to be taking a little bit more of a main role errand those are the only two characters from the first game who have appeared and i've heard their voices so far mm-hmm there is at least one other character who is definitely appearing again. Um, I believe his name is Silent or something along those lines. Um, they should be keeping his voice voice actor as well because he was also one of the best ones in the game. Lance Riddick and Ashley Birch. Shout out to your family. <laughs> <laughs> so um, those those three voice actors, I'm anticipating their return. But the fact that they're keeping the rest of the cast, cast like you said, hush hush, has me curious as to who else they're going to be bringing in. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know very much about what is going on with the story of the sequel. I can tell you that the first one ended kind of on a cliffhanger. It, it was to the point where when I beat the first one, I 
they hadn't announced the sequel officially yet. And I think I went running out of my room to tell my mom, there's going to be a second one. There's <laughs> going to be, if there's not a second one, I'm going to scream. There has to be a second one with how this ended. So hmm. I, like I said, I'm excited. Um, I don't know if I'm going to play through the first one again myself or if I'm just going to watch like summary videos to get ready for the sequel. I haven't decided yet mm -hmm. just because now that I've played more recent open world games, the gameplay of it is kind of clunky. Mm -hmm. um, I will give it that. But like I said, too, it was one of my first current gen games when I got into the PS4. And I didn't ever play. Or well, I played PS3, but only at like friends' houses. So I jumped from the PlayStation 2 and Nintendo Wii generation straight into PS4 with higher graphics. So it didn't feel as clunky to me at the time. Because at the time, I was like, oh my god, this is the best thing ever. Yeah, like my my eyes couldn't take in all of the details of the graphics because my brain my brain was like, "What is this?" <laughs> <laughs> so, yep, that's my take for the day. Well, that's awesome because it's definitely one to keep on the radar, and uh, we'll definitely be looking to a review from you in the future. Yes. So, with that being said, Gordon, yeah, what's your what is your <laughs> <laughs> As much as it pains me to say this, what is your video game hot take for the day? I, I've been stuck between a couple different ideas because part of me just wants to talk about Minecraft because I love Minecraft. Um, <laughs> Great and game. Si and, yeah. and simple in simple games like that. But my, I've also been torn on uh, just some interesting features certain remastered games have or newer games that are coming out have for well, I'm for example uh, have any of you guys played uh, the new Call of Duty that came out Cold War? Yep I played it Have you played the campaign? Nope I stopped playing Call of Duty campaigns after Black Ops 2 I do not blame you in this play <laughs> That was the last <laughs> good one Um, There's a point in the Cold War campaign where they throw in a mission that is a ripoff of the Stanley Parable. Like it's the narrate like it's a narrator telling you what you're supposed to do but you have options to do the exact like whatever you want and to go down different paths instead of just listening to the narrator. And if you keep doing it long enough, you get a uh, special uh, achievement for it. I don't remember what that achievement's called. I'd have to go back and find it, but it it's uh, a nod towards the Stanley Parable where if you haven't played it, it's a great game and you should play it because it's a great game. <laughs> um, Backed up but nothing but facts and logic. <laughs> exactly. No new facts and logic. It's just to the best of my knowledge and gameplay of the Stanley Parable is you play the character Stanley, and the narrator tells you what to do. You either listen, or it's you a don't. parable. And there's 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 a, there's a lot of um different Easter eggs and other hidden messages in the game that you can find, and there's a lot of different endings you can 
have. I'm not sure exactly how many, but there, there's a lot of them. And to kind of to stick with the uh, Call of Duty um, little Easter eggs, it's Modern Warfare 2 Remastered. Probably, uh, I skipped that one. <laughs> you, one of like the best campaigns, I believe, or controversial campaigns. I'm pretty sure that's the one where they killed uh, killed a lot of people at the end. Or oh, something my like that. Um, and when they remastered it, at the beginning of the game, you see the person that like shoots all your friends because he's the spoilers for people who haven't played a how many year old game now. The commander <laughs> shoots, it turns his back and you know goes against you at the end of the game and just fucking shoots your friend in the head. Does the same to you. You can um, at a point you're out of firing range. You can go and shoot him, and you'll get a note a. Uh, some achievement called like deja vu or uh, some big word that I know I can't pronounce or know the meaning of. But I I think that whenever games do little callbacks to big controversial or just popular games in newer games is a fun feature, especially if you've played those games that they reference. Except for Fortnite. Screw Fortnite. Fortnite's garbage. Fortnite's completely garbage. I think we can all agree on that one. Yeah. Like, it it was an okay game when it first came out. Then they ruined it. Now I hear kids go around saying, that's the Stormtrooper from Fortnite. Did you guys hear about the controversy from Fortnite that they recently got into? No. No. Uh, This will take just a few minutes, if you don't mind me sharing. Please do. Oh, God, it's... It's so wrong, but also kind of funny. Oh, oh God. I just remember <laughs> what it is. Okay, so oh, I, no. I want you guys to keep in mind that the majority of Fortnite players are like 12 to 15-year-olds, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I want you guys to tell me what you think 12 to 15-year-olds would do with what they added into the game, okay? Oh, please. So. I think I know what you're talking about. Oh my god. Go I on. don't because I stopped following, but so I So a little this. bit of so a couple maybe like a year or so ago, they had, you know, all of the superhero stuff come in, right? And with that came a catwoman skin. And with oh, that no. came a catwoman e- emote where she would use her whip, right? Well, fast forward a little while longer and we have Martin Luther King Junior Day mm-hmm. and they decided to add a skin for Martin Luther King. And no. well, some of these 12 to 15 year olds uh, still had the Catwoman skin and still had the whip. And you can imagine what they would do with that combination. Mm, and I didn't hear about that one. Fortnite oh does not know how to stop them from using the whip emote. So I believe right now. It's been a controversial thing for the past couple of weeks. I believe it's still going on. Fortnite's like, yeah, we don't know how to how to stop this from happening. So I I guess we just let these kids continue to <laughs> continue to do this. Yeah. That is um mm. there was also the scandal where I, I I don't really understand it. I think it's like a free lobby where you can just like run around. And whatever developer 
decided that like there was like tomatoes that you could like pick up and throw and uh they were trying to integrate during like last year's crisis of you know police brutality and black lives matter they were introing topics into the game to ways raise awareness but again we're dealing with 10 to 12 to 13 year olds <laughs> yep. and they were the developer never thought the process through of like yeah they can apparently throw these tomatoes and there was this whole scandal where they were throwing them at the screen that was projecting like awareness of the <laughs> issue and it was very insensitive and they did not know how to stop it yep. yeah i think fortnite should just take the hint maybe we shouldn't I mean, I, I get, I understand, you know, pushing awareness for these kinds of things, and I'm not saying that awareness shouldn't be spread, but that might I do be believe that, yeah, I do believe that kids that are playing Fortnite are going to get the awareness through school, and hopefully their parents. Yes. I don't think that it's Fortnite's job to um, be everyone's advocate. Yeah, I, I think they should just <clears throat> leave those topics out of the game, especially with how many emotes they have in the game and how much mixing and matching you can do in the game. I and feel like they should probably just leave that kind of stuff yeah, alone. Especially since they can't keep track of what's already in the game <laughs> and they don't know how to turn things off in their own game. Which I don't understand. You're a, you're a develop, developer on a massive game and you don't know how to like take the tomatoes or the whip away? As, now, Come as on. somebody who has done coding and slight game development in college and stuff like that, and has messed around with it for a long time, I can see how they would not be able to find these because I believe that a lot of these emotes, if they are similar in nature, would have the same kind of code. Now, if you take how many emotes are in the game, I'm sure they have a select folder for all the emotes. I would be surprised if it was under 15,000 lines worth of code and with some of them being almost identical. I and mean, no pictures. I can understand that, but at that point, guess what? You shut your game down for a day. You put all of your developers into finding it. Yeah, guess what? We're gonna work. Over, we're gonna work overtime today, kids. Like I don't. <laughs> I don't know. You're right, though. I mean, Drew again. Lizette and I are speaking out of school because we yeah. don't. But I would rather spend the time and fix it rather than have it blasted on. True, you know, but they're also a, a business first and foremost so any amount of time they shut the game down they are losing profit and it is a free-to-play game and yeah. to be fair i'm sure this is drawing even more kids playing true yeah to go be stupid and just do things that they find funny because they're kids and they don't really understand yeah they, don't, yeah. Like they don't understand what race doing. inequality yeah <laughs> yeah because i mean they're still young they're still learning about those things and it's like they might know about them in concept but at that age, it's hard to fully understand. Yeah. Yeah, Fortnite's bad. <laughs> <laughs> A part of me also believes that they allowed these things to happen intentionally. I knew that was to, coming because I was going to say it too. Like Just to get publicity. the publicity. Yeah. yeah. All publicity is good publicity. Yeah. And sometimes you, if, you know, the New York Times is going to give you a write up, you're going to take it. You know, yeah. I get well, Yeah. Because yeah. now, I mean, everyone's talking about Fortnite again right now because of this kind of stuff. So it's working. Yeah. Nobody's uninstalling Fortnite for this. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's not going to give them money. If anything, they're going to get more customers. Mm hmm. Yeah. Trending on Twitter, 
will never be a bad thing, no nope. matter what. Well, with that being said, I think it's a good time to take a quick break and hear from our sponsor, and then we will be back with more video game information. Okay, so Drew, let's segue into your video game series that I know you're passionate about and Very. I want to hear all about. Yes, I recently got a tattoo from this game series. I want to be talking about Dark Souls, and my hot take is that it's the best game ever made. Dark Souls 1 in particular. How did a, ta- how did a game give you a tattoo? <laughs> I oh got a tattoo because of a game. If you're so inclined. Gordon, I hate you. <laughs> But before anyway, I go your... into the super deep rabbit hole that is Dark Souls, I do want to, just for a second, acknowledge Demon Souls for being the first Souls game. And I recently completed it for the first time on the PS5. And phenomenal game. Not the best. And to anybody out there that's watching that is a huge Souls fan and wants to say that Demon Souls is not the first one and it's actually Kingsfield, you're wrong. Anyway... <laughs> Dark Souls you out. the best game ever made okay so Dark Souls has a lot of controversy surrounding it in terms of its difficulty a lot of people don't I don't necessarily want to say don't like it because it's difficult but can't get into it because it is difficult and I I do understand that but probably one of my more favorite things about Dark Souls is the difficulty, it being difficult, is a huge part of its story. So when people say, like, ah, if it had an easy mode, I'd play it, this, that, and the other, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work at all. Ignoring some of the basic gameplay changes that would have to be made for an easy mode, uh, one of the best examples of how difficulty would change the story is, uh, for one, the hub world. So the hub world is one of the few areas in the game that actually has music. Because for the most part, if you're not in a boss fight or in a major major area, area, there is actually no music playing. It's just the sounds of the world. It's supposed to make you feel kind of alone because you're trudging through this darkness, so to, speak, so to speak. So when you're in the hub world, you feel calm and serenity. And without the difficulty of that, you wouldn't get that surreal feeling that you get from being in the hub world that's just one example one of the other examples is more directly tied to the story is that the basic enemies you find that they've gone completely hollow now what hollowing is is when you lose all of your souls you become hollow basically a mindless zombie so to speak but uh i gotta recatch my thoughts (laughs) what is this an episode of bleach Eh, it could be (laughs) Real quick for those that are maybe tuning in that are not <clears throat> video game experts, like when you use the term hub world, that's the... So that's that's the area you always find yourself coming back to. Mm-hmm. That's where like NPCs that you meet and talk to, they'll end up being there. People who you buy like spells from, if you talk to them, they'll end up in there. It's basically like... It's also, it's an area that connects you to seven other locations. So from the hub world, you can go to the Undead Parish, the Undead Burg, the Catacombs, New Londo Ruins, the Valley of the Drakes, Blight Town, and the Undead Asylum. So as soon as you get out of the tutorial, all of those areas are opened up. And there is no technical wrong way. So something that I like to do is I like to go to the second bell 
of Awakening. Sorry, there are going to be spoilers. The second bell of Awakening, defeating that boss and ringing that bell, which is supposed to be like, you're supposed to do that after you ring the first bell. But I like to go down and do that first because it's a little bit more difficult and it has one of the more challenging bosses down there. But it kind of makes the rest of the game a little bit easier if you can manage to go through and do that. Because obviously you're a higher level for the easier stuff. But Dark Souls doesn't hold you back on where you can and cannot go. You can basically do whatever. You can go anywhere you want basically from the start. Excluding the end locations. Hmm. Yeah. It's kind of open world. So most open world games, they are... It's almost like a flat map, right? You could lay it out and see where everything is located. Dark Souls mm-hmm. isn't large and flat. It's more of like a big interconnected tower. So all of the locations connect to each other. You can see, you can look off in the distance and see locations that you're going to be visiting. You might not know it. And some of them are really out, like out in the distance. You kind of have to use the binoculars that nobody uses in the game to kind of see it. But it's, I know for Dark Souls 1 is the only Souls game that has this kind of interconnected level design. And I wish other games would do that because, so for example, when you first get into the game, you go to the the Undead Berg. When you go through this huge area with a boss fight, I mean, your first time going through this area, it's probably going to take you a solid three to four hours to get through it. And then you meet Andre, which is a fan favorite blacksmith. But in that area, there's an elevator. You step on that elevator and it takes you down. And it just keeps on going down and then it opens up. And you can kind of see a glimpse of what the elevator is taking you towards before it closes again. And it kind of you can kind of tell what it is. And then when you get to the bottom of that elevator, it takes you back to the hub world. And you just went on like a three, four hour journey through hell <laughs> and a boss fight. And then you end up back in this in the hub world. And it's, I don't know how they managed to do this level of interconnectivity because that's not the only instance of it. It's present throughout the entire game. And there's no load, load, uh, load screens. You can go through all of these areas from start to finish without any load screens. And for being an Xbox 360 game that came out a long time ago, that's a technical marvel in and itself. Most games aren't able to, to do that. You can go through the entire, just about the entire world without loading anything. It's just seamless. Wow. I don't feel like a lot of games can do or have ever done that, really. Honestly, I don't really recall that ever. Yeah. And it, it's such a, it's such an interesting take on an open world. Instead of it being kind of long and flat like all other open worlds, they're like, why don't we make it kind of taller like a tower? And then it's still open and you can go wherever you want, but there's smaller sections of openness and interconnectivity and the world kind of goes up and down. Huh. It's no, no other souls game has ever done level design like this. The other souls games, you just kind of take a bonfire and you warp to location to location. This game, you don't unlock, you can't fast travel until like over halfway through the game. You don't hmm. unlock it. The game forces you to walk. If you get really far into an area that is actually, you know, supposed to be meant for later in the game, you're stuck there. 
you got to find your way back out. There's no waypoints. There's no map. There's no nothing. You chose to go down that path. If you think it's a little too difficult, you can backtrack. Wow. And I just love that non-hand holding. And enemies don't have any symbols above their heads to indicate their, their power, you know? You go through, and then all of a sudden you get one hit by a ghost, and you can't hit the ghost back. You're like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't be here yet. I gotcha. But if you want to, you can actually, from level one, you can go to endgame areas and get endgame loot. A fan favorite thing to do is to uh, go down into the catacombs and defeat Pinwheel, who is actually a pretty easy boss. But when you defeat him, you get the right of kindling, which allows you to have more potions. But like uh, once you go through and defeat that, you then have to climb your way back out. You can't ooh. fast travel out. But it's a very common thing to do to go down there and get some things done before you actually go through the rest of the game. You can make the game easier on yourself if you're good at the game and can you know, go through these high-level areas. But with there being no map and with the world being so seamlessly interconnected, after about my fourth playthrough, which I've played through the game about ten times now, I have the entire map of Dark Souls just like in engraved into my brain. I know where everything is. I know where every path leads. And there are actually some areas in the game that are really cool that I hardly ever go to because it's not on the main path, but I know of its existence. Mm. There are some, there's a uh, Ash Lake. It's a really cool area that they hit off on the side that most people never go and see. And it's really surprising to me that a developer would put so much time and effort into a, the largest area in the game that's a grand spectacle and make it completely optional. You don't even have to go there. They spent really too much cool. time on their hand. Wanted to have some fun. <laughs> I mean, that that might be how that area got created. Well, let me ask you this, Drew, because like you've given us very much in the terms of like game design and why it stands on its own. But can you tell us a little bit, like, what's the storyline? Like, what's what are we following? So the story is where this game gets kind of interesting because it is a very open-ended interpretation heavy story dark uh -huh. souls doesn't care what you want <laughs> so to speak they don't force you to give a shit they do not force you to care there's hardly you know all of the dialogue is optional you don't have to talk to anybody to progress anywhere you can ignore all of the characters and complete the game you don't have to talk to anyone the game doesn't force you to but mm -hmm. talking to characters they will give you insight on the world and their own personal struggles and stuff like that. And then some of the other story is environmental. And then some of the other story is through item descriptions. And there's a really cool theory that was never confirmed that the item descriptions in the game are actually your character's own thoughts, which I thought would be a really cool take on that. But outside of the starting cutscene, because the opening cutscene does give you a lot, especially if you've already played the game before and you watch it a second time, it gives you a lot on the premise of Dark Souls. But for the story, basically, and I'm not an expert on the story, and I beat the game like 10 times because I, it's a lot. There's a lot of things going on in this. But basically, the world at first was just complete darkness with monsters and stuff. And when fire first came into existence, so did humans. With the rise of humans came uh, Gwyn. 
Gwyn kind of became like a king figure, right? But mm. also with the fire, uh, souls were linked to the fire along with humans. So Gwyn took this and he kind of created almost like a kingdom, basically, to kind of solidify the age of fire and the age of humans. And he kind Ooh. of made his own army. With this, he got Seath the Scaleless to kind of uh, betray his uh, fellow dragons and give Gwyn the weakness to that. The reason why he did that was Seath the Scaleless was only interested in knowledge. And Gwyn kind of promised him infinite knowledge if he gave him the secret to defeating the dragons. The secret to defeating dragons ended up being lightning. So Gwyn learned how to use lightning and taught all of his knights how to use lightning. And they wiped out all of the dragons except for Seath the Scaleless. And when he took the power of the flame, he kind of he started to go a little hollow, kind of like everyone kind of does. And he kind of started to go a little mad. And now he's protecting this last kind of flame. So basically what your job is as the quote-unquote chosen undead is you're supposed to go and rekindle the flame. Basically what rekindling the flame means is you sacrifice your own body to the fire to keep the fire going, to issue in the second age of fire. So somebody has to sacrifice themselves to that fire because it's connected to souls to keep that fire going, to keep humans alive. A lot of people who are connected to that fire from when the fire first came into existence have kind of gone a little i don't want to say insane but they've kind of gone hollow and they a lot of them don't want you to rekindle the flame a lot wanted to issue in the age of darkness so you're kind of left with a choice of is it actually right to rekindle the flame or is it right to issue in the age of darkness because a lot of these people who were around when the when the flame was first kind of brought into existence don't want it to stay and you have to kind of make that you do actually have to make that choice yourself if you if it's the right thing to kindle the flame or to not an issue in the age of darkness so Ooh. as you're going through the game if you pay attention to world storytelling you kind of see both sides on maybe it's better if the fire does fade or maybe I should help my fellow humans and sacrifice myself and issue in the age of fire again. And you will have people telling you that you should, it's kind of your duty as a chosen undead to go kindle that flame. And then you'll have some saying that you should not, you should issue in the age of darkness. And that's kind of the basic premise of dark souls. I don't know. That's kind of a, a lot. But I mean, it is, but it's like a little bit deep for like, you know, storytelling for a video game. Like that's, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. And we want to get back into it almost. There is actually like to the, to this kind of day, nobody really knows if the good thing is to kindle the flame or if the bad thing is to unkindle the flame because dark souls two and three kind of go off the 
uh, assumption that you did kindle the flame. And in Dark Souls 3, spoilers to everyone who hasn't played it, uh, when you play through Dark Souls 3, you actually have to fight the person who kindled the flame. And <clears throat> the person, the final boss of Dark Souls 3 is supposed to be the person you played as is Dark Souls 1, the person who originally kindled the flame and has now gone crazy like the person he killed to kindle the flame. And now it's your job to repeat the process. And the world is stuck in this perpetual age of one of the undead kindling the flame and issuing the age of light and that cycle continuing. So the longer that cycle continues, the more people are wondering if the age of darkness is actually not that bad and if the age of light is just something that people are told is good, but it's not actually good, but nobody actually has the right answer. People are just kind of sticking to what they know. And all they know is the age of light and the age of darkness has been kind of ingrained in their minds that it's a, a bad thing, mm -hmm. but nobody has actually lived through it. Nobody actually knows. <laughs> well, damn. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, a lot more. A lot. I haven't even gotten into the characters yet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there was also another thing I wanted to touch on that the basic enemies, the basic hollows, uh, those are past chosen undeads who gave up because the only time you go hollow is when you give up. The whole premise of the game is perseverance and never give up. No matter how bad or how impossible the opposition may seem, it is 100% possible to get through it no matter your level, no matter your equipment, no matter what, you could do it bare-fisted level one. It is possible. Wow. You should never give up because it is possible. And the basic enemies that you find, because you the, base, the first enemy you see, you will also see near the end of the game. Like, they're sporadic. There's less and less as you go through, but you will still see them. They were past champions who couldn't get past the opposition ahead and then they fell victim and just became a regular hollow oh and all of the items you find in the game or are tied to dead bodies so in the beginning of the game the items you find obviously aren't that great aren't that you know impactful because they were past champions who fell super early they didn't have a lot but as you get farther those past champions that have fell have more to more to offer. So like mm -hmm. a good example of this is um, the currency, the level, the XP, everything is souls. So sometimes a course will just hold souls. It'll just be like lesser souls or common souls. Then you get later in the game and it's like a soul of a brave hero, which will give you more. And it's like mm -hmm. those people later on in the game made it so much farther. They became heroes in the eyes of some which means their soul is worth more. Yeah. And it's basically just this, uh, the universe just keeps on shoving chosen undead to go rekindle that flame until eventually one succeeds. Each one just gets a little bit farther than the last until someone actually succeeds in doing it. That's like really creative storytelling. Like I, I know. And this is like no cutscenes. Wow. And it has this kind of story to it. And it kind of upset, upsets me that when people play it for the first time, they see the difficulty and they're like, oh, no, I can't play it. It's too hard. And it's like, that's kind of the point. The mm -hmm. point is to overcome this difficulty. 
like a life lesson in, in like in itself. Yeah, and there's more life lessons in the uh, characters themselves too, because each character, if you choose to care, has a side story, in and themselves. They, each character you meet, has a story that goes on in the background. You have to go out of your way to go to where they go and see their story unfold. You can completely ignore them, and then their story will still play out without you. Hmm. Each story cool. will play out without you. Yeah, it's uh, it's so good. You can miss so many subtle details. You can miss all of the side character stories. You can miss everything and still get through the game. Because like I said, the game has this thing of it won't wait for you. Characters still have their lives. Characters still have ambitions and things they want to do. And with you progressing in the story and be, you know, eventually becoming the first undead to make it so far, some of the characters feel like their purpose is useless. So a good example of this is when you first get into the game, there's this knight who his mission is to greet every chosen undead that comes to uh, this area. That's all his job is, is to let them know that there are two bells of awakening and that you're a you're supposed to ring both bells so that way you can get to a different area. And when you become the first undead he's ever seen to actually ring both bells and continue, no more chosen undeads come to that world. So his purpose is gone. And you can actually find him. He's actually gone crazy. And he actually becomes hollow because his whole entire purpose was stripped from him with your success. Huh. The entire purpose <laughs> of his existence is now gone because you're succeeding where others have failed. And now he feels like he doesn't have a purpose in life. Um, I was not expecting this to be this deep. <laughs> yeah, me neither. I, I just got taken aback there. <laughs> and my favorite character, Solaire, and my second favorite character, Sigurd of Katarina. Uh, Solaire, he's my favorite character because, and he's actually the symbol on his chest, the sun is actually the symbol I have tattooed on my arm. And I got it tattooed on my arm because of what this character stands for and what he kind of does so basically you meet him and he's the person who informs you that there are other worlds just like yours and you know he kind of explains it in a way of like uh sometimes these worlds kind of cross like phasing in and out and sometimes you'll see remnants of people doing things in past worlds and the reason why you see messages on the floor from other players. The reason why you see aspirations of other players as you, as you play through the game is because the, the world itself is convoluted. And now this is kind of up to theory now, but my theory is like the, the world is trying so hard to fix itself that it's, there's multiple universes of thousands and thousands upon thousands of undead trying to do the same goal as you with only one trying to succeed to save the world basically the world is kind of going i guess i'm gonna use the word bonkers <laughs> but yeah there's also different universes and that's kind of where the multiplayer ties in so he gives you a white soapstone so that way you can write down your sign and people from other worlds 
can summon you and you can help them or you can summon people from other worlds to help you this character solaire also makes it his mission to help you yourself progress through the game you'll be able to summon him for boss fights and stuff like that but basically his whole his whole attitude is just because the world is shitty and most people do bad things doesn't mean he has to he can be helpful he can help people no matter how bad the world becomes he still makes it a mission to help everyone he comes across and that's kind of his own personal mission because most people you run across are bad or have ulterior motives mm-hmm. and will try to take from you or kill you, rob you, because it's a horrible, horrible world. But he still makes it his mission to help whoever he can. And he's the he's one of the only characters besides Sigward that you meet that is actually not super depressed, not depressing. He is very optimistic about the world. And that's why I like him so much. He's the only one that kind of sees the good in people and in the world. And he loves the sun because the sun gives, gave all life and kind of made everything possible. Let that sink in for a second. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't ready for this. <laughs> Neither was I. I uh, wow. I'm not going to lie. I really expected you to just go on. And no disrespect, I just assumed you were going to go on like some fanboy rant about best graphics, best gameplay. Nope. I did not expect it to really have like such a philosophical. Feeling it in my soul. The game yeah, I'm is like, very philosophical. I'm like pissed that I never played. I'm like, wow. I'm not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he actually, he slow, he slowly, he slowly goes crazy looking for they word it as his son. I don't know if that's like his like actual physical son or his metaphorical like what the sun means to him. But you slow you slowly see him succumb to darkness as he's looking for the light. And it is possible to save him, but if you don't know what you're doing, he is going to he does eventually pass, which is sad. You actually have to kill him. He this insect that uh, latches onto people's heads and kind of almost like alien takes over their body Uh, in the pursuit for his son. He gets overcome by one of those. The only way to save him is if you convince him to leave that area because he's not going to find his son down there. But if you just let him do him, he kind of travels too far into the darkness and he gets overrun by one of these insects as he's looking for his son and it completely takes him over. And if you go to that location at one part of the game, he's there with one of those uh, bugs on his head and he will just attack you on sight. And he's, he's no longer there. So if you decided to give a shit and understand what he's doing, you can tell him that's a bad idea and save him. But if you don't care and just continue on your merry way, he will succumb to darkness. Because the characters will go on without you, they don't. They don't wait for you to accept their quest. Life goes on whether you're there or not. 
Do I need that to like Venmo cool you for this AI. therapy session? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, do you have Cash App? Like, I'm confused. Is, that, like, is this an intervention? Like, what's happening? I just this want to is... spread the word of this game because a lot of people misconstrue it for uh, people just like it because it's hard and it boosts their gamer ego. No, there's so much more to this game. I'm like, it's hard to, I mean, it's hard to grasp all of it. But no, it's 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 hard to remember that we are talking about a video game. Yeah, it's like it's weird because there was like a moment there where I was like listening to you, and it was almost like you were just telling like a outsider's view of a, a story. Like it didn't <laughs> feel like it was we're talking about a, a video game. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's just wild. And then on the flip side of that, just because helping one person is the right thing to do doesn't mean that helping someone is helping someone else is the right thing to do either so the other character uh sigward of katarina he left his hometown in pursuit of adventure all he wants is to have a grand a grand adventure before he dies that's all he wants in his life he just wants a grand adventure and if you follow through his story every time he goes into a grand adventure he gets over one overrun by opposition and he kind of goes a little too gun ho in his seeking for adventure and you actually if you don't help him he will die because he can't handle the enemies by himself so you go in there and help him and he thanks you and he's like without you i would have perished he's like i am grateful that you helped me and then you help him again and he's like man i don't know what i would do without you you're you kind of kind of helped me a lot and he helped him again and he just kind of like i feel like i can't have he was like you help me so much i want to help you but he can never find a way to help you and in doing all of this and helping him so much you rip him of his sense of adventure and he feels like he can't do anything without you so when you find him at ash lake he's gone completely depressed and hollow and has given up for seeking his sense of adventure because he, he feels like he can't do it without your help. And that's kind of not the point of an adventure. He wants to do it on his own. That's why he left his hometown. That's why he left his family behind is because he felt like he needed this with you helping him. You rob him of that experience and he ends up going hollow and gives up on it and passes away. But on the flip side, if you don't help him, he will die, but he will die happy because he died having his adventure. So just because you can help somebody doesn't necessarily mean that they want the help. And in doing so, sometimes you just can't help. Sometimes you can't help a person who doesn't want help. Seriously, like, are we Venmoing you after this? <laughs> or... I'm just trying to quietly eat my antipasta salad. I, uh, I'm, I'm stressed. I <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not. Those are. I'm only touching on my favorite characters and my favorite stories. But there are multiple accounts of different characters that you can go through, and you can watch their stories unfold. And each one has a different story. So another good one is a. Uh, there are these uh, mages. You can have these mages. I don't remember their names because I don't do magic builds in the game. But there are these mages and you start buying their uh, their sorceries and they start teaching you. Once you surpass their level, they feel like they have nothing left to teach you. 
So in that pursuit, they, they need more to teach you because that's kind of like they, that's their purpose now is to teach you magic because they haven't had a purpose in so long. You meet them and you're the first person who's not hollow to make it that far to actually talk to them and learn their power. And once you kind of learn everything they have to teach you, they go out to stronger locations, higher areas to seek knowledge. And in that pursuit of knowledge, they become hollow and when you meet them in those locations, they attack you because they gave up on becoming more powerful than you because they couldn't overcome the opposition that they felt they needed to, to help you out more. So do you just like drink wine and cry while you play this game? And, like, <laughs> your wife? Like, it is very, it is very depressing, but one of the common themes of this game is not every ending is a happy ending you have to accept that and keep on moving forward. Not everybody you meet is going to have a happy ending. Maybe you yourself is, are not going to have a happy ending, but that's not reason to give up. You don't have to speak directly to me like that. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that is the overall purpose of the game is not to give up. And that the difficulty really solidifies that just because it's difficult. Doesn't mean you should give up just because people around you give up. Doesn't mean you should give up. And that's the theme that's pushed on throughout the entire game is do not give up under any circumstances. Yeah. Very... Liza, would, Liza, can you, can you, can you help here? <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. So I'm going to be honest. I've heard this so often that I, I love you, my dear, <laughs> but I tuned out because I couldn't hear it. I, like I, I needed a break. <laughs> I've left you two on your own for this one. I haven't heard from you a breath from you in like 30 minutes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not shitting on you by any means. True. It's just like, I did not expect it to be this <laughs> in depth way. Yeah. As far I, as like, it... I didn't know how to warn you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like I, I didn't know how to, uh, and I didn't realize that you guys didn't have any prior knowledge of it because like when he started telling me about it i got um him and dylan telling me a little bit and it would just be like a little bit here and there they actually made me play one of the games one night it didn't go well um i think i cried and threw the controller back at the- <laughs> um but yeah it it's a lot, but it, it is, uh, it does feel like you've gone through a therapy session. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess this is a good video game to talk about because, you know, when you think about the stereotype of gamers, it's very vapid. It's very lives in mom's basement or whatever the cliche you want to throw out. It like, this is truly showing that there are game developers and game players that are looking for something on a higher plane it's not just grand theft auto vice city yeah outdated outdated reference but (laughs) you know you know what i mean it's it's like this speaks truth to power that it's like video games are a form of an escapism can be a form of therapy and a form of art yes but this yeah this game is also very therapeutic not just for me but for other people once you kind of start looking into the deeper meanings of this game and you start really paying attention to everything. There's a lot of, I mean, hollowing can be a synonym for depression in this game. Yeah. Trust me. I'm aware. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I know these Souls games have helped me personally through a lot of stuff. Once I kind of saw what the the stories were trying to tell. Now, let me ask you this. How long did it... I mean, you're obviously... I, I consider you to be a smart person. Did you go into the game knowing that it was like this? Or did no. it take you playing it, like, how many times? Or go, walk me through that. So, basically, the way I got introduced to Dark Souls was I was in high school. And I was bragging to one of my friends about how good I am at video games and how I'm a god gamer, as you do. And he told me about this game called Dark Souls. And he was like, there's no way you can beat this game. And I was like, I have not played a game that I could not complete. He was like, without looking up anything, without guidebooks, without YouTube, without anything, beat this game. He was like, I bet you can't. And I was like, okay. And I took the game. I started playing it. And it whooped me left, right, and center. And it was the first game that didn't tell me anything, didn't hold my hand. It was like, you chose to play this game get through it on your own. We're not helping you. It's basically what the developers do. It's like, you get through it on your own, okay? Have fun. And I played it for two or three months, and I didn't even get to the first major boss fight. Like, I got past the tutorial, and I didn't even make it to the first boss before he wanted the game back. So I gave him the game back, and around that time, Dark Souls 2 got announced. So I pre-ordered Dark Souls 2. I got lucky because it was rated T, so I convinced my parents to buy it for me Mm -hmm. and i got dark souls 2 that game took me probably four to five months to beat and i didn't look anything up because i still had that vendetta in my head that i can beat anything Mm -hmm. without a guide so i I did it took me about four to five months to beat that game all like a lot of other people had already completed the game by the time i did but to reiterate that whole purpose of never give up, there was a boss in Dark Souls 2. Of course, it was a spider because I have arachnophobia. It was a double-headed spider. And that boss took me probably about two months to beat. I was stuck on that boss, and I never gave up. And I eventually did beat it. And when I tell you the feeling of euphoria I felt when I beat that boss after like two months of being stuck on it, playing that game for seven to eight hours a day on the weekends, you know, dumping 20, 30 hours into it a week, if not more, just fighting that boss over and over and over and over again until I finally beat it. I've been chasing that feeling for a long time. And that's what got me into the Souls games was that feeling of accomplishment, that feeling of satisfaction, that feeling of knowing I did not give up where I know others may have not, not getting mad at the game, but getting mad at myself because I knew I was making mistakes in the boss fight. Not looking anything up and forcing myself to do it on my own is what made me fall in love with those games. Is everybody still there? <laughs> I, I, I hate dead air, but like I, I, I don't... Yeah, no, I, I mean, I get it. I just, that was very impassioned and that, that's <laughs> i didn't really know what to follow up with that because, you're, you're good yeah i i couldn't say anything that would be meaningful to that i know i that's what got me sucked into those games and i've been paying, playing them are they paying you for this <laughs> <laughs> this is probably the probably the best review a game could probably ever get like it truly touched like you said chasing that feeling like it 
touched your life. Yeah, it's forever. Dark Souls is forever a part of me. Just like kind of how Kingdom Hearts is as well. But Kingdom Hearts isn't so much the game, it's the time at which I played it. But the reason why this game means so much to me is because of the topics that it slightly touches on and I can't, for the life of me, I can't understand how developers would put such great characters and stories and put them in a game and not force you to understand and go through it. Like, the developers don't force you to follow Solaire. They don't force you to meet any of these characters. They don't force you to understand the story. They don't force you to do anything. Everything is optional. You don't have, the game doesn't force you to care. And for something that has such deep meaning, for the developers not to care if you care or not is unheard of. There's probably still things in those games that they're waiting for people to find. Yeah, probably. And there's a lot of things that people still speculate on because not everything is 100% like this is how the story goes from start to finish. There's a lot of like, well, we don't actually, like the game never touches on how this actually plays out. The game never really goes more in the depth on this. And just characters that you can optionally meet having such well thought out intricate stories and personalities and motivations that go on whether you're there or not and the game doesn't force you to acknowledge it is just breathtaking to me i can't believe game developers would put so much time and effort into something and not care if you experience it or not not care if you understand the story or not but I mean, it kind of speaks to the greater metaphor. I don't know if that's the right term, but like I, I think I, I think I get what you're saying, Stephen, and I agree with you. It's the deeper message and the deeper <laughs> symbolism. Think, yeah, symbolism and metaphors and whatnot that they're trying to show and teach in that game. It doesn't work if they force you to care about it. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have the same impact. And it's a representation on a higher level of like how you walk through life. Mm -hmm. Like there's so so many people that like, you know, you can choose to keep your head down and not care about like your fellow man, so to speak, and not know their story, not know their experience. And you can just go through and get to the end and arrive at your destination and be content and be content or you can go through these experiences where they don't always turn out great or they do turn out great and you it, it's it's symbolic of life, life. i guess <laughs> yeah like i don't know that's the whole yes yeah. so it's so, so dumb to say it that way but like this game is the most artful piece of gaming i've ever experienced there's just so much going on and i haven't even like, everything in this game has a purpose. So, like, you dying and respawning, that's in the, that's tied into the story. There's a reason for that. Since you're a chosen undead and you're marked with the uh, dark sign, basically the curse, every time you die, you respawn at a bonfire because you're tied to the flame. You respawn at the bonfire you last rested at because that's the last fire you were tied to. Mm. You, cannot, yes. you cannot fully die because you're tied to the flame. Because you're a chosen undead and you're branded with a dark sign. 
we all chosen undead <laughs> you know like i'm not being weird but like is that like they're I, saying I like human kinda... human life is like living is so much better than the alternative yeah that's why i think i think you're all right in that assumption that's why it has such a hard do not give up mentality to the game it's like a suicide prevention message without yeah. being you know after school special even even health potions the health potions in the game, they're called SS flasks. Mm-hmm. You have a set number of them. You can increase that number, but every time you rest at a bonfire, the set number you have refills. But the reason why it refills when you rest at a bonfire is because the potion that heals you is just bottled fire. So the fire you're tied to, tied to heals you. So every time you rest at the bonfire, you get healed. Every time you drink your Estus, you get healed every time you rest at a bonfire. Your Estus refills. You're just drinking the fire you're tied to, to heal you. Wow. Everything has purpose. Everything has reason. There is no instance in all of Dark Souls One. Is there a why does this exist? There is a reason for everything. Everything has a reason. That's deeply tied into the story. And that's another reason why I get little upset when people are like ah dark souls doesn't have a story i'm like what (laughs) i had friends in high school who tried to tell me that dark souls didn't have any kind of story and it was just hard and that's all it had going for it and i was like you've obviously never taken the time to look into this game that's the type of people that would never follow the uh other storylines it's so uh everything in this game is so perfect in my opinion Yeah, um, I don't think we ever need to do another video game episode again. I think it's probably <laughs> In my opinion, Dark Souls 1 is lightning caught in a bottle. Like, nothing else has been able to replicate what this game has done. And I've played through this game now, like, 8 to 10 times. I don't know. I lost count after 6. I have I have bought this game on every console it's ever been released on and played it on every console it's ever been released on at least once. It's just one of those games. Yeah, you win. I want to play it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I'm gonna, so, I'll be playing while you guys are out at your dinner parties tonight. So, sorry, everybody, but I think Drew just won video games. So <laughs> thank you for listening. We've concluded. <laughs> this is the end of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we can't go much longer. This is going to be its own episode. I mean... I, I didn't even get into the gameplay. Drew, I... I, I you know, have to... Oh, no, I, I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to. You know Where that I would listen. Where does your name this episode, Drew Part 1? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I uh, definitely would be interested in, like, potentially... I don't know if I have the resources to be able to play it, but, like, I definitely want to, like, watch I would say, even if you guys don't play like... it, I would love to... Like have a day where we like everyone sits down and I play the game and just kind of show the game off. Are we starting a Twitch? Are we a Twitch podcast now too? <laughs> I can I can beat Dark Souls one in the span of like seven hours. Are we having a viewing party? <laughs> <laughs> if you guys want to, Gordon, production wise, can we make that happen? Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. kind of here for it. I could explain. Now, I'm not I'm just, an expert It's going to be me crying. It's just going to be me crying and telling you how the game relates to my sad life. 
Okay. Well, we have to definitely have a production meeting and figure out how we can incorporate this again because this. I hope is... I told you guys on the argument that Dark Souls One is the best game ever made. Yeah, I... I've owned Dark Souls for a while. I just at the age I started playing it, I definitely was like, nope. <laughs> don't I don't have the mental strength for this. <laughs> like, I didn't even make it past the um tutorial, I don't think. And I was just like, I don't like this. I'm gonna come back to it later. <laughs> did I make you beat the tutorial boss for me or did I not give you the in, controller? I can't remember. In Dark Souls three I beat the tutorial boss for you. There's a boss at the end of the tutorial. That's like dark. <laughs> the, uh, dark Souls three, the tutorial boss. I had her. I beat it for her and I we played co-op because you can go through the game with a friend. You don't have to go through the game alone. Well, that's a whole other <laughs> message too. Hi, Lydia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who's playing with him when we do the viewing party? Hi, Steven. So I think I you're, my, you're to, my co-op, homie. Yes. <laughs> I tried to carry her through the game and tried to show her why I love the game so much. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really translate very well. Because I realized, this is when I realized that the difficulty of the game is such an important important aspect. When you have somebody carry you through it, the hardships, and just show you the golden areas, then you kind of miss the entire message. Yeah, because I mean, I was pretty much just running after you, trying to keep up, and you were like, look over here, now come over here, now look over there, now come over here, and I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? So I kind of learned that you can't carry someone through the hardships. You can't <laughs> carry someone through life. Okay, yeah, I get you it. can't it's carry all... someone through okay, life. I yeah. think this episode needs to end sooner. We're all just gonna have a mental breakdown. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm very, I was I was already unstable, and now I'm teetering. So, <laughs> with that being said, thank you, Anchor. Where's the alcohol? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, well, I blamed mine, guys. <laughs> I know you weren't aside. prepared for this. I was not, but it was I. I definitely it's enjoyed welcome. it. Can we do yeah. a part yes. two to this? Because there's a lot I, more. Yeah, the video game series is over. Now it's just going to be Dark Souls part two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we completed our first series, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, all jokes aside, excellent episode. Uh, for those of you that are listening, I hope that at no point in this was this triggering or upsetting. I do believe this game that really speaks to a higher message and uh, if you are listening and you are in a dark place and this, this resonated with you, please join our Discord server. Reach out to any one of us. We are all here to listen. Um, this is truly stuff that we have to talk about. And I think that a game like Dark Souls normalizes conversations about mental health and life and the struggles that we all face. And it's important that we talk about this stuff and we show that games are not all based in violence and whatever there are bigger messages and this is what we're trying to do we're trying to build a community around this type of stuff and with that being said i want to thank anchor for sponsoring this podcast because without them this would not be possible please leave us a like leave us a comment tell us did it, have you played this game did it impact your life in a similar way are you going to play this game now um, i totally forgot every other game that we talked about um <laughs> Anyway, please drop us a line, join the Discord server, and until next time, I will see you then. Gordon, Lizette, are you guys as excited about the New Year's Eve special as I am? 
You know it, Steve. I mean, I know me and Drew are excited. We're both going to be there. And I think, Dylan, you're going to be there too, aren't you? You bet your shiny gold buttons I'll be there. <laughs> Guys, do you know who else? Carmen, you're, you are coming. I don't... I'm so excited. Yeah, me and Bobby wouldn't miss it for the world. So this is going to be our first time doing a live event. And people that are listening can actually come in, join the chat... They can join in on a microphone or through text chat, and they can actually be a part of it. This is, like, the best way to end season one. I lost my left yeah. shoe no, thinking Steve. about it. <laughs> Did it knock your socks off? And Not even have those shoe. on in the first place, so just the shoe. <laughs> just the shoe. <laughs> what time is this going to start at? So we're looking at, because obviously we have to celebrate midnight so we're thinking around 10 or 10 30 we're gonna have more details to follow so this is really important if you want to be a part of our new year's eve special you have to get on discord or reddit you have to be a part of the community to be on i i can't explain how excited i am for us to be live we're going to take your chats you can join in on the call tell us what you like about the show what you don't like this is going to be the most interactive we've ever been with anybody it's so exciting but, Gordon, do you know what the real thing is? Is they have to have green room. Can you tell they them about green? Have green room? Green room is a l- lovely addition to Spotify where we are able to go live and just be able to record with all of you guys listening in. You guys can ask to speak with us. You can join us. You can join in the live chat throughout the whole thing. We can bring you on so you can share your opinion on our podcast or just your opinion on some random BS like we love to do on our podcast and just and, chill with us all night. And Lizette, do you know what the best part is? If you Are you a listener to Spotify? Yes. If you have a Spotify account, you can just ho- download the Green Room app and immediately create an account. How easy is that? Oh, okay. So it just ties into the account that you already have for Spotify. Exactly. It's perfect. It's going to be like a two-second download process and then a two-second sign-in process. Okay. Carmen... I don't know about you, but I would really think that it'd be cool if some of our listeners would like either join in on the voice chat or through text and tell us New Year's resolutions. Are you big on New Year's resolutions? Not so much on uh, resolutions, um, but I just love being with friends and family. And I think it would be a great time to have uh, more of our friends and family who are listening be a part of this so that uh, we get to hear from everybody. And what's a better way than celebrating the new year? than to start off with a group of friends that are all on the same page. Exactly. Dylan, I I can't wait. Are you excited? I am. Like I said, I lost my I lost my left shoe and I think the cat took the right. <laughs> oh my gosh. I you're should fi- hopefully you're... find it in time. If not, like you said, I can join through Reddit or I can join through the Discord. I can't wait. Well, I will see you guys all there and everybody listening. We hope to have you be a part of our special night. It's the season one finale. If you're enjoying the Let's Be Nerds podcast, please come join us and let's kick off the new year together and safely and social distance and just kind of be a part of a group where everybody's welcome and everybody's accepted. Hope to see you there. Let's Be Nerds is hosted and executive produced by Gordon Bryant and me, Stephen J. McLean. 
Let's Be Nerds is a production of Speakeasily Productions. Our social media manager is Kylie Gregg. Our managing producer and co-host is Lizette Ayala. To keep up with the latest on Let's Be Nerds, join our Discord server linked in the description box below. Follow us on Instagram at Let's Be Nerds Pod or find us on Twitter at Let's the Letter B Nerds.